We'd like to introduce and thank Hughes Castell, a premier legal search firm in Asia and a pioneer in legal and compliance search in Greater China since 1986. Hughes Castell's trusted brand name gives it unparalleled ability to engage top-level legal talent in a broad spectrum of industries and commerce, including top Fortune 500 corporations, banks, and international law firms. I know I've personally worked with Hughes Castell before both as a candidate and as a client. I can assure everyone that their level of service is absolutely excellent through and through. When we advise our Chinese clients to go abroad, we say the same. We say, you want to go to the U.S., just make sure you look Chinese. Do local manufacturing in U.S. and, and forget about your Chinese brand, yeah? Just play local. Or local is a key word for MNCs, for, for foreign, for new medical device companies willing to play the Chinese market, even like pure medical innovation player. Now there are nuances, yeah, depending on your willing, your ability to bet on the long term, your willingness to, to monetize the opportunity upfront. You may have different strategies, yeah, uh, and that are overall encapsulated into your exit strategy. Are you going to go IPO? Are you going to do M&A? We help them from starting from the end, where you want to be in five years. We want to sell to Medtronic, to how to take advantage of the China opportunity. Licensing deal, for example. Licensing plus equity transactions to monetize a significant upfront that value the IP that you grant. You, you can give exclusive access to your patents in, in you know, on the Chinese market and making sure that you get money upfront for that. Yeah. So those are the opportunities in which we've been on which we've been working over the past few years with uh, with a lot of creativity and a certain success. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Ganbei. I'm your host, Art Dicker, and today we have the pleasure of being joined, joined by Olivier de Aro. Olivier is co-founder and managing partner of Mavi Technology, is a leading investment bank in China cross-border transactions dedicated to medical devices. Welcome, Olivier. Thank you, Art, and I'm very pleased to be here together with you. Yeah, we really, like I said, the privilege is all ours. I've been wanting to do a show about medical devices for a long time and struggling to find the right person with the experience to talk about it. And I've found that person in you and I'm honored that you've come on. And why don't you give the audience a bit more background about yourself? Everyone, I think, has a unique China story that comes on the show. And I think the audience would love to hear yours and how you've got to, to where you are today with Mavi Technologies. With pleasure. And I'll start years ago when I arrived in, in China, Shanghai. I came, I came to, to the East from arriving from Europe with, with the dream of an entrepreneur I, I wanted. And I did create a company, a technology company with application in medical device, but not only. We had technologies serving also what we call avionics in the aircraft design industry. And the dream was to find a way to address this fantastic market. And I think also beyond that, there was, there was the need for me to learn to be an entrepreneur. And I found in China this, uh, this ecosystem, this playground, and this culture of entrepreneurship. So many of my Chinese friends helped me along the way, and I've had a fantastic ride with ups and downs. So 2010, I founded, co-founded ISO Software Technology Company. We sold it in 2015 to a local player called Octave. And, and then 
strong of that first experience, we decided to see how we could help other Western entrepreneurs to succeed in China in, in, in selling their companies, in doing major equity transactions. And so we, we co-founded Mavi Technologies, investment bank, as you said, China cross-border, as you said, and we, fo we, we got focused on medical devices. Medical devices is our only market segment. And so if you want to talk about medical device, indeed, we are relevant on that, on that segment. We are one of the leading players today in, in, in terms of transactions, M&A transactions, joint venture transactions, licensing transactions between China and US, China, Europe, China, Israel in that segment. Wonderful. Yeah, that's, I, I could tell from reading up about you and, and I've followed from time to time some of the posts you've put on LinkedIn and so forth. I can see that you're definitely very transaction focused and that's great. And I know you've done some high profile transactions as well. And this is a space where there's a lot of opportunities, I'm sure, which we'll get into. And before we get into some of those specific opportunities, I was wondering if you could share a bit more about some of, take us up high to a 30,000 foot level of the macro environment of what's going on and what's driving sort of the need in China for better medical device technology. Obviously, every place around the world is trying to improve in that sense, but there seems to be a unique opportunity here in China. And I wonder if you could think go through with us some of the factors. Is it greater health awareness? Is this country just getting wealthier? So trying to improve its health generally, or are there other things going on as well? You mentioned health awareness. I don't know if you're referring to, to, to COVID. Yes, for sure. COVID was the trigger, I think, there where people perhaps took a look at the mirror and realized that, that they can't take their health for granted so much as they do, I guess. I hear your point. And at the same time, I want to be controversial here. And I want to say that if we're talking here at something macro, you're asking like, what are the big, the big underlying trends? I would say that COVID was a very impactful, a horrible episode that cost the lives of many, of many people, many of our friends, that disturbed all our lives, disrupt all our lives. But it was an episode. And I think that it may not, it did bump the stock market, the stock price of some of the Chinese medtech involved in that segment. But we, in my view, it was just a, an episode, a horrible one, but just an episode. If we, if other factors that we see as, really impacted the impacting the major trends you mentioned it the aging population so my friends here in china they are around my age they are so now i'm going to tell you my age they're around 40 okay a bit later i've got you beat by a few years so it's okay yeah. so let's say 45 is that better out yeah, then you're exactly the same as me. No, I didn't say I was 45. But yeah, so let's say my friends are around 45 and they'll be 60 years old in, in about 15 years. 15. Mm -hmm. And in 15 years, we'll be in 2040, around 2040. Sorry for my math. And I'm just trying to get to the point. By 2040, when you look at the, the demographics, there will be around one third of the Chinese population. So my friends will represent one third of the total population that will be over 60 years old. Mm. One third of the total Chinese population, 1.5 billion. One third equals 
500, did I say 500 million people that are going to be over 60? And what do people over 60 do? In addition to, to having hot pot and enjoying time with family, Baiju, yeah, since it's the theme of today, they go, they use, they, they spend their money on healthcare. I will spend money on healthcare. My friends will spend money on healthcare. And my friends tend to belong to the middle class. And they will gladly spend a good part of their money there. Yeah. If, if their kids are finally graduated. So higher in capital income, aging population. Yes, that's something you already heard, but I think we never really fully appreciate what we're talking about. 500 million people over 60 years old. No, am I saying that correct? Yeah, one third of the population, yeah. Yeah, it'll be 500 million. Yeah, yeah I'm even surprised by the number myself. So this will drive, of course, the sale of medical devices, all kinds of, not just the sale, but innovation and ecosystem and the relationship between the medical device and yourself. Because today, medical devices are being sold to hospitals. Hospitals are selling to you, using them on you. I think all of that is going to be reinvented. In the yeah, I, I think it's 500 million people, but that's, of course, 1.5 or more times the population just the United States right there. And it seems like the uh, it's not just also the population growth, the population aging, but the like you said, the money to spend is there and people are willing to spend on something like healthcare. I wonder if if how that translates to opportunities for foreign companies here. Obviously, there are local players, I think, who which we can talk about now or we can talk about later, who are developing their own technology, maybe have some other advantages here, especially I imagine bidding on government contracts and so forth. But how are foreign firms, how do they compete here? And how are they doing? And what are they doing lately that's in response to any changes in the market? What's what? How are they competing these days? You mentioned the local firms first, Anya, and you also men mentioned the fact that preferential bidding position on government tender process. And yes, that's true. Yeah. So is there any space for foreign companies in China? Multinationals, you've seen, they're not just downsizing in the West. They're in China. They're also fundamentally restructuring their strategy, their headcounts. So it's something on which we are working a lot in our transactions when we have Western clients who who are asking us those strategy. If we do M&A in China, what's the goal? If we do a joint venture in China, what's the goal? And if we don't want to enter into the specificities of each of those transactions, I think overall there is an objective, which is to look Chinese in China. And by the way, when we advise our Chinese clients to go abroad, we say the same. We say, you want to go to the US, just make sure you look Chinese. Do local manufacturing in US and, and forget about your Chinese brand. Yeah. Just play local. Or local is a key word for MNCs, for, for foreign, mm -hmm. for new medical device companies willing to play the Chinese market, even like pure medical innovation player. Now there are nuances, yeah, depending on your willing your ability to bet on the long term, your willingness to, to monetize the opportunity upfront. You may have different strategies, yeah, and that are overall encapsulated into your exit strategy. Are you going to go IPO? Are you going to do MA? We help them from starting from the end, where you want to be in five years. We want to sell to Medtronic, to how to take advantage of the China opportunity licensing deal, for example. Licensing plus equity transactions to monetize a significant upfront that value the IP 
that you grant, you, you can give exclusive access to uh, your patents in, in you know, on the Chinese market and making sure that you get money upfront for that. Yeah. So those are the opportunities in which we've been on which we've been working over the past few years with uh, with a lot of creativity and a certain success. Yes, that, thanks for that. That makes total sense. You have to be flexible, as you say, how you approach be local. I'm sure that applies to other industries as well, but I could see where it would apply particularly here. And you mentioned something about getting paid up front, and I wanted to pick up on that point a bit. A lot of people in a lot of clients that I work with in different technologies with valuable IP, whether it's a licensing deal or not, I think try to get paid as much upfront and as quickly as possible. So for medical devices and for licensing deals and other transactions, is there a push to get more paid upfront? There's a stereotype about IP not being well protected in China, which I often try to tell people, no, it's not nearly as bad as you think it is. And I've actually it's protected quite well here and it's gotten a lot better. Is, the, is that a that push to get paid up front by some of the people you work with? Is that out of concern of losing control of the IP that they bring here? So we hear that concern and we tend to debug that concern, at least on, on three points. The first one is, see, they are willing to put the money up front. So it's not that they are going to steal your IP if they are ready right. to put millions of dollars up front for having nothing else but just a paper. It's just second, good faith, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So second, all the deals that we're doing, the party who is, so we have, we are cross-border, as I say, yeah, China, Western. The party who is the most IP sensitive is the Chinese. So they are the, they are the one who are going to spend the most money on doing the IP due diligence and who are going to freak out if there is any potential risk of infringement because the nature of the market is so competitive here. And just like in the West, we... We fight on IP in those innovations space. You know? And that's exactly what I tell my own clients who are skeptical, because the, I think the same transformation went, Japan went through this same transformation maybe 30, 40 years ago, where there was not a bad reputation on IP. And in fact, it was Japanese companies suing each other for protecting IP. And I think that I, I've seen that same thing happen in China, as you just mentioned, you know, that the Chinese companies care more about the IP than, than the foreign companies might, or at least more than you would expect. And I think that's a good thing for everybody here, right? As far as the system then doesn't discriminate. The yeah. system is the judicial, I can speak for the judicial system is improved substantially on the protection of IP. Yeah, China has become an innovation market. So the currency of that market is the IP. They had to embrace it. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned the, so we talked a bit about the local players and is there a push for, by the government to create sort of these national champions like we've seen them try to do in other industries as well? And China likes to come up with a lot of these five-year plans, made in China 2025, all these kinds of big industrial policies. And where does medical devices fit in that kind of policy framework for, for as far as getting government support for local players so there are really there, there is a strong view but this is linked also to your following question that you were referring to the vbp yeah that is creating national champion but i would say the indeed china loves five-year plan the latest one was the 14th uh Kankinal plan and healthcare is on the Top of that plan and the top among some other key industries and there are, there is money to make things happen i think what is interesting is that they 
they mention as a key priority of that plan to increase the BMI, which is this national insurance, which is now covering 100% of the population and to increase to, to increase the reimbursement. So there is a behind the priority to be number one in healthcare. There is also willingness to make sure that uh, this healthcare, those healthcare services are being accessible to the big population. I, that's one point of this, of this plan. The, yes, they are trying to create champions. They want to have today in China, I think there's on, out of the top 50 medical device company in the world, global medical device company of the world, out of the 50, the first 50, only three are Chinese and they want to have six more by 2025. Mm. They, they, that's an objective they fix themselves. They, they measure that, in, I think, in terms of market cap. There are some key technologies also behind that for which you can get heavy subsidies or support, let's say, if you're in brain science. Uh, if you are in some, what they call those frontier science, genetics being included, then you, you can get a lot of support from the governments following the latest 14th five-year plan. Got it. And that's interesting because I think that's also a common perception, again, across different industries that there's a certain, that the that government policies are, are extremely important. And I think that's true. Here again, in other industries, we've seen in semiconductor as well, where the government puts a lot of money into the sector to try and create local companies that have their own technology and can then go global as well, which we'll, which we'll get into in a bit later on. In preparing for this episode and this interview, I, I kept seeing this word volume-based pricing, VBP. And I wonder if you can walk our audience through a bit about what that's about. It seems to be quite important and affects everyone in the whole industry. Yes, VBP. VBP sounds sounds a bad word in medical device. <laughs> All my friends hate it because what does it mean? It means price cuts. So yeah. your device was priced 100 and then after VBP, suddenly one day after it's no longer, it's just 20 or 10. We're talking about not major price reduction and no one likes it. Yeah. Medical device companies don't like it. You also, you may also tax this system to not help with innovation. There's no less money, so less innovation. So why is the government doing it? Actually, personally, but I tend to like it, although it's not good for business, but I like the idea to see that the Chinese government is building a healthcare system that is going to be very affordable. They are, they are taking the innovation categories also. They are saying, oh, wow, this fantastic drug that is going to help us cure this type of cancer, first in class. We want it, but if you want to sell to the Chinese market, to my big Chinese market, then you're going to have to sell it 110 times less than in the US. And so they push the price down to make it accessible, affordable for the accessible. Yeah. The other reason why I like it is because actually people say it's against innovation, but it, it, it forces things to change. So you, you cannot survive, yeah? So what do you change? You need to change your R&D. You need to really innovate, yeah? You cannot just keep selling that same thing where you're maybe just losing. Maybe your margin is becoming ridiculous. Okay, you may, you're going to go for manufacturing efficiency. So you're going to automate a bit more. And that's also part of what's happening in, in, in those uh, medical device companies. Go see the factory plants. It's, they're beautiful. It's, uh, it's, it's highly automated, it's super modern. So you see those transformation at the manufacturing level. R&D, you see everyone 
spending real money now trying to figure out what's the next generation, what's the future of this treatment. And, and also, you need to cut costs on your sales. You cannot have distributors, sub-distributors, sub-distributors. So corruption is, uh, is becoming very difficult in China, yeah, with such low price. There's no and, fat margins anymore for that. Yeah, so there's for, no for, fat margin yeah, for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even after removal of those distribution channels, you still need to probably create more room. So you need to think about digital engagement of your physicians, new models, yeah, new way to, to solve problems, to bring treatments to, to, to patients. So for us, who are deal makers, it's interesting, yeah, because we can help bring innovation, new ideas, new concepts from that have been developed in the West, yeah, and that can solve pressing issues here in, in China. And we can also leverage what the Chinese are building in terms of manufacturing efficiency, those licensing deals that we do between the West and China are sometimes also an opportunity for the Western player to say, oh, maybe in China, I'm going to have an alternative source of supply. Yeah? If the mm. costs in China are so low, I should take advantage of it. And the digital landscape in China is becoming very interesting. Also, we all, everybody knows digital in China is different from the West. And if we don't want to say which one is the best, we should at least say that the differences are worth learning from, uh, are an opportunity to learn from each other. So there, there is uh, in China, in healthcare, a lot of uh, unique new types of enga- engagement and ecosystems being modeled by, by digital, digital platforms. And that actually is this great segue into to one of my next questions, which was about data and, and digital. And a lot of, you mentioned, you're talking about the digital ecosystem in China. As we know, the China has become quite, it's not really aggressive. They've just caught up in a lot of ways to what what's has gone on in Europe with GDPR, but they have done a whole new overhaul of regulations about pers- protection of personal data over the last couple of years. And I wonder how the firms you work with, if that ever comes up as an issue, where in any of the transactions you do, and how the data regulations work. For example, there's lots of rules I know, of course, about exporting data out of the country that's personal information. And especially if you're talking medical devices, I imagine some of that is, is quote, sensitive, which is, um, which is also got its own unique issues to deal with in these regulations. So I'm wondering if this comes up in the transactions that you work with and how it might come up. Yeah. So the, yeah, this morning we was in, in a meeting between a U.S. company and a Chinese company, and the system we are developing or we are talking is is a device, but a smart device that includes artificial intelligence and imaging and data, and uh, we talked about it. I have to say that this is what we all agree on was that the data needs to be in China. So once we say that, we felt okay, but it's it's quite complicated. Yeah, and the latest revision of the cybersecurity law is complex. I think having assistance of lawyers to go into specificities of, of those data law are important. But yes, this is not something to overlook. Even the Chinese government recently, I think, was last week announced that they were creating a new mm-hmm. ministry. Yeah, is that a ministry, yeah. or can we call that a ministry of? The data ministry, the data, the data ministry. Yes, if you have data in your software, whether this data in your device. 
whether this is a diagnostic device, an AI-related application, whether this is even like a therapeutic code, but that manipulates patient data, make sure that those data are stored in, in a Chinese server. But as you said, at the end of the day, I like also to de-dramatize all of that. I think it's probably like many of the what's happening in Europe. And, and it's also not new. Art, you've been in China for more than 16 years. 10 years ago, we were already talking about the fact that the data needs to be stored on local server, yeah? So I think it's just more pressing and, and maybe more complicated, but the principles are the same. Yeah, and it's not necessarily just legal reasons driving it. Anyone who deals with hosting software, for example, or having any kind of connectivity locally, if you're going through the fire, the great firewall, you it's usually something, a bad user experience along the way anyway. So it's not just purely to meet a legal requirement. There's also a lot of kind of practical benefits of keeping data stored locally as well. And then there's the point of the regulatory authorities that says, anyway, we need your algorithm to be trained by Chinese ethnic data. You need to redo everything. So you need to, you need, you, there's also the, this whole discussion that ha happens in when you're dealing with AI type of software. Or, but yeah, let, to keep the message simple, make sure your data are stored on Chinese server. Yeah. No, that's the, that's definitely the big takeaway. And I almost felt like we should get into this last topic. I should have brought this up to the front because I think it's quite interesting. We've talked a bit here and there about Chinese firms and what they're doing. And I imagine that some of them are big enough now where they're looking to expand outside of China. And what's like the strategic, do you work with these companies? I guess is the first question. And if you do, what is the drive, drive the strategy, right? What's, what factors are driving them to go out and what advantages and kind of disadvantages that they have competing with players outside of China? I'd like to, to, to mention that, to, to answer this question in, in saying that first there's been before COVID and after COVID type of companies looking to go abroad. And before COVID, I should say before the crisis, because it's not really related to COVID, but I'm here I'm referring to the market correction, the stock market mm. correction that did happen in many sectors that in the West, for the, if you're listening to us in the West, I know what, we, what I'm referring to, but in China it's been even worse. Yeah, the, mm -hmm. All the Metronic and Boston Scientific of China have also had a terrible year last year. Mm -hmm. So before the market correction, we had Chinese clients, which were typically newly listed companies sitting with a lot of cash, fancy business plan, strong leadership team, new companies, huh? companies that were formed in 2018, like this new robotics company or this new artificial heart company that were sitting on valuation market cap of billions of dollars. Of US dollars, yeah, billions of US dollars of market cap. And they were asking us to help them find new technologies to feed up their portfolio, to deliver on the promises that they gave to the stock market, at least in, in the vision, without really looking at the bottom line. Those companies right now, unfortunately, are, are not, their appetite is a bit, is much lower. So they are, they are, some of them are counting just like their smaller friends. They are counting their months of cash because of this crisis. The clients that we are serving right now, the Chinese clients that we are serving right now have a different profile. They are the second tier type of 
Chinese companies that were building for the past 10 years a very steady growth on sometimes low-end consumable for surgical application and so on, and that were regenerating reasonable margin of maybe 80%, 70%, and maybe not the fancy one, but the profitable one. And today they have cash. Today they are in a market which is the Chinese market. Everybody knows it's that in China it's competitive. It's mm. bloodly competitive, yeah, especially when you are in a low consumable segment. And they have to get out get out of China. Why? Because it's easier to get market share outside of China than within China for them. Competition is insane. And, and second, because they, that's also where they're going to find those, they, through those deals that they are looking for with hiring our services, there's those m &A deals they are looking for, that differentiating technology that will give them an edge, not just in China, but globally. First in class, yeah. Uh, those are the companies that are going abroad right now. They are not famous, but they're working with us, and we are very impressive by the very impressed by their vision, their ambition, and uh, they are strong with cash. It's in, it's interesting again because I think you've seen again. I keep referring to other industries in the automotive industry. Similarly, Chinese companies are not necessarily building the next Ferrari or the next McLaren or whatever, but they're building, especially in the EV sector, they're building really good cars at a really good price. And, and they're also expanding abroad quite a bit these days on that same kind of, because as you said, the domestic market is so competitive. So I know that having worked with other clients in the auto space, that's, there's a real, I don't want to, I don't know if you call it an arbitrage opportunity, but the margins are so much higher outside the U.S. for basically the same product. And so it's just so interesting to hear you say that the same thing might be applicable in the medical device space as well. It just seems like something about China. It's big, it's competitive, it's like ruthlessly competitive in every sector. And so it's like a breath of fresh air when they see the opportunities outside of China, even though there's probably some culture, you could probably speak to that too, the cultural learning that they have to go through and i'm sure you help them with that as well but at least on a pure numbers basis it seems like there's better margins outside of china for them correct yeah. cultural barriers political barriers yeah it's it's not so easy to go abroad and they have they're still very new on that journey so there's a lot to learn there's the, for them we always talk about the bad deals from the western perspective but they also do bad deals they also overpay targets that are not that worse and that they are not really able to integrate because of lack of strategic thinking or just a bad operational plan so they, there is a there is there's a lot to be done here and we hope our company can help fill that and i think that's a great way to to wind up with our audience is it's i think this has been extremely helpful for them to cover a topic which our listeners have not heard about yet on the show and as i mentioned before we got started our audience is really business focused and it's really people who know something about china already and i think that i'm i don't doubt that someone listening to this would probably like to reach out to you and and learn more about what you guys do and they may have even some chances to work together if that was the case what's the best way to reach out to you guys how do you are you active on linkedin email website what's the best way for people to contact you 
LinkedIn is a good idea. I was about to give my email, but it's so long to spell it. LinkedIn, <laughs> I promise I answer. Maybe put in your... In the show notes, in, yeah. In the, say that this you're coming from the show and uh, I'd be glad to engage. Yeah, thanks so much, Olivier. It's really a pleasure. I'm glad you uh, we, we could make the time zones work and uh, and it was just a meaning to have you on the show and it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you.